0: The best comedy, the best comedy has a prophetic voice to it. it, can make us laugh at things that we're really kind of embarrassed about or that we're uncomfortable talking about. And I think that skit by Adam Sandler is kind of profound. I don't know, Walton's, maybe you would have a thing to say. Have you ever feel this about, uh, about some folks? Maybe they, put, maybe they put a little bit too much uh, expectation on what you could do for them. Walton's owned a travel agency for years and years. Uh, but, um, but, man, that is a profound, actually, that's a profound skit. If you have eyes to see, so to speak, if you think about it, that is a profound skit. It makes us ask the question, what do you really trust in? What are you putting your hope on in and your trust, your, your faith is another way to To phrase that. Now, in, in, in Adam Sandler's skit, he's just a simple travel agent, right? But people are putting the weight of their problems on him and his company. And they simply can't bear it. They weren't designed to bear that weight. But people expect him to change their lives, to solve their marriage issues, to make them like themselves. It just doesn't work that way. And I wonder, as I, as I reflect on that skit, I've seen it a bunch of times, I love it, but as I reflect on it anew, I wonder if God doesn't feel that way sometimes about us, about how we put the weight of finding ourselves on a created thing. Any created thing. Marriage, right? Success. Finances. Health. Kids. Friendships. Any of these things. Political party. Any of these things. We put the weight of our identity on those things, and they just were not designed to hold that. They can't bear up under the pressure. And I wonder... If God says to himself sometimes, Man, here I am. Here I am, the one who created them, and they keep going to the other stuff that I made and loving that stuff, and the one thing they won't do is come to me, the Creator. Created things, no matter how good they are, cannot be your greatest good. So I'm asking you again, what do you trust in? Where do you find your identity? What is your greatest good? Created things, no matter how good they are, cannot be your greatest good. They simply don't last. They simply can't hold the weight that you're putting on them. So, I'll ask a third and a final time here before we move along. What do you trust in? Where are you putting that weight? Who or what is competing with God as your source of hope, happiness, and peace? Who or what is competing? Maybe some days that thing wins. Maybe some days you win, God wins, so to speak. But who or what in your life is in competition with God as your source of hope, happiness, and peace? We're continuing our study in the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. You remember now the nation of Israel at this point in history is living as slaves in Egypt. Do you remember how they got there? Do you remember the story from Genesis, the story of Joseph? Joseph's brothers are jealous of him because he is Jacob's favorite. Jacob was also called Israel. Joseph was his favorite. His brothers got jealous, so they sold him into slavery and told his dad that he was dead. Well, he went into slavery, and he ends up being sort of an all-star. He can do it all. And he ends up interpreting dreams. And he gets known. He becomes known as a person who can interpret dreams. And so the king calls him in to interpret dreams. And Joseph tells the king there's going to be a famine in the land. We're going to run out of food. And so Joseph helps the king prepare storehouses and granaries and stockpile food, preparing for... This famine that is to come. Well, Egypt is ready when it hits, but the rest of the world is not. So lo and behold, what does Israel, Jacob, and his sons do? They're starving. They hear there's food down in Egypt, so they head there. Long story short, they're reunified with Joseph, and they stay in Egypt. They get married. They have lots of kids. And then 400 years pass... And we turn to the book of Exodus. Another king has since come into place. Many kings, actually. But at this point in time, there's a king who does not like the Jews. He hates them and he's afraid of them. He tries all that he can to limit their numbers. He throws their babies into the river. God, through the man Moses has decided enough's enough and he's going to set his people free. So that's what's happening in this story. We read last week, Moses and his brother Aaron, they go to the king, Pharaoh, is what the king of Egypt is called. They go to Pharaoh and they say, God, the Hebrews says, let my people go. And then you can put this on the screen if you want. Pharaoh says, most prophetically or in the no truer statement has ever been uh, uttered who is the lord that i should obey his voice and let israel go i do not know the lord and moreover i will not let israel go the lord yahweh pharaoh does not know yahweh why would he listen to him so now now yahweh you got to remember theology 101 for a jew or a christian god is a god who wants to be what known. That's right. God is a God who wants to be known. Why is there something rather than nothing in this universe? I mean, that's like a profound philosophy question, right? No, it's a theological question because God wants to be known. Okay, so that's really important to God. We'll talk more about that in a second. Well, God is about to show off. He's about to show his stuff to Pharaoh. 10 plagues are going to come upon the land of Egypt. God's going to take away 10 things that these talk about what do you trust in, right? God's going to take away 10 of those things that the people trust in. And he he tells Moses why he's going to do it in uh, in Exodus 7 verses 4 and 5. He says, "Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Those are the plagues. Acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Why would God use plagues to do this? This sounds harsh, right? Well, maybe it does sound harsh. I'm not going to question God Uh But a couple of things to point out, God doesn't do to Egypt anything worse than what Egypt has already done to Israel in all of these dealings. So there's an element of God's justice there. And he even says to Moses, it's an act of judgment. But there's another thing to say here um, as well. Some people are just really stubborn. Some people have to hit rock bottom and they're not going to listen until... And unless they hit rock bottom. You ever pray for somebody that you love to lose everything? I have. I pray that God takes everything away because I know that person. And I know that as long as that person can depend on himself or his friends, friends, or whatever, he is never going to come to the Lord. Sometimes God has to take away. That's why you say sometimes God... Does addition by subtraction. Write that down in your notes there. Sometimes God does addition by subtraction. God takes away something good, either in judgment, maybe in judgment, or it might, sim- it might simply be to get our attention, or because we've put too much trust in that one thing, or because we have plan- he has plans that we can't see, that we cannot. Sometimes he will take something away to show us or to give us something greater. Remember, God is a God who wants to be known. Is that good news? I hope that's good news. It's not, it doesn't sound like good news that God might take something away from me that I love or that I like. And if you want to, I mean, there's, you could probably find a preacher in this town who will tell you that God just wants to give you nice stuff. And God just wants you to be happy all the time. So if I guess what I'm saying is really bothering you, I don't know, does this sound rude of me to say, you're welcome to go find somebody else? Because <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. God ultimately wants you to be happy, yes. He ultimately wants you to do good things, yes. But so long as you, you doggone stubborn person, and I'm talking to myself too here, as, lo- as long as you, stubborn person, keep putting the created things ahead of the Creator, well, don't be surprised if he takes those created things away. Or if Austin's prayer that he led, if God stands between us and them for a time. Because he loves us. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to know him. Why does he want you to know him? He wants you to know him because you got to understand, you have to understand, this is very important what I'm about to say. Ready? God, and I, I gave you, the, I think these are on your notes page too. God is not just good. You ready to think with me now? God is goodness. He's not just good, he is goodness. God's not just loving, God is love, and He wants you to know not just a person who is good, not just a person who is loving, not just a God who is good, not just a God who is loving, but He wants you to know, capital G, goodness, capital L, love that's what he wants you to know that's why we say nothing i desire could compare to knowing god you see without god do you know do you know this that without god there can be no goodness do you know that do you know that without god there can be no love The most unloving person who ever lived, when he did something loving, did it because of God. That's called common grace. He extends his grace to everybody, even the unbeliever, the rebel, the wicked. When you take God away, what are you left with? What does the book of Genesis say at the very beginning before God comes into the created order? What what do we have? The turbulent waters, right? The Spirit of God is hovering over emptiness and void, chaos. And then God begins one thing at a time to bring order to the chaos, doesn't He? This is what God does. And now God's going to let Egypt experience just a little bit of what God forsakenness feels like. You know, whenever you sin, You ever think about it this way? I think I've preached this before, so maybe you have. You know, whenever you sin, what you're really doing is asking God to leave you alone. You ever think about it that way? Thanks for the advice, God, but I got this. You can take a seat. That's a nice idea, God, but I have a better one. You know that? What are you asking for when you ask for God to leave you alone? Aren't you asking for God's forsakenness? Isn't that bizarre? So The scripture says God's going to fa- harden Pharaoh's heart. You know what he's going to do? He's actually going to give Pharaoh what Pharaoh is asking for. God is giving Pharaoh what Pharaoh is asking for. Isn't that a terrifying thought? May God never give you what you're asking for when you sin. May he give you grace instead. May he be patient with you. Pharaoh, I'm going to show you one thing here and then we'll... We'll move on for the morning. I just want to show you one example. It's really neat. Uh, the thing that Pharaoh is trusting in here. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I want you to notice what Pharaoh's ultimate trust here is in. I'm going to start in verse 10 of chapter 7. And just follow along with me and check this out. You'll pick up on it real quick. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. This is before the plagues begin. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, skip ahead to verse 20, the plague of blood. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Now jump ahead to chapter 8, verse 5. The plague of frogs. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up upon the land of Egypt. These magicians are not somebody you would go see in a show in Las Vegas. The magicians are their witch doctors. The magicians are the fortune tellers. The magicians are the ones who connect Pharaoh to the gods. The magicians are the ones, and here it is, the magicians are the ones who offer Pharaoh a sense of control. The magicians are the ones who offer Pharaoh a sense of control. And how many people, how many people still today in this country, in this town, go to church, go to their Bibles, go to God in search of a sense of control. What they really want is control in a world that cannot be controlled, right? They want God to do something for them, to fix something, instead of just wanting God. The Christian life is one of giving up control, isn't it? It's one of saying, I am not, I never was in control. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Now go to verse 17. The plague of gnats. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. As the Lord had said, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them. He had come to trust so much in this source of control that even when this source of control flat out told him, we cannot offer you control anymore. He still wouldn't believe. He still wouldn't believe. so many things, so many parallels, I don't have time to draw. Can I draw a couple? What about money? Can I draw just a couple parallels? Money gives us control, doesn't it? You can do a lot of things with money. If you got a lot of money, you can do even more things, right? But eventually, money will tell you, I cannot fix this for you, won't it? Money will tell you that. I can't make this better. Yet how many people, they just can't hear that. They just won't hear that. Your health. Man, I take health for granted every day. I take my health for granted. But you know what? One day, my body will say, I cannot give you control anymore. Just visited my grandma this week who has been put in a facility. She doesn't want to be there. Many of you. Many of you have been in facilities like that, nursing homes. You've been in them yourselves, and you didn't want to be there. Out of control, right? Others of you have put loved ones in homes, and you hated to do it, but there they are. Out of control, right? It's amazing how some people in that situation are able to find joy. Like, I never was in control anyways, God glory, glory, right? And other people just become bitter as all get out. Isn't that amazing? Maybe it's not so amazing. It's because of your heart. So maybe you're in a position now today where you can, maybe you feel like you have a lot of control. Or at least enough. You have enough control today that you're Comfy, maybe. I don't know. Maybe you're not. But today, this gives us, as we take communion, it's going to give us an opportunity to um, to kind of wonder to ourselves, am I putting my hope and my trust in these created things, these created things that offer me a sense of control, Or am I looking to the Lord? Where's your heart? Where's your ultimate love? That's what it's really about. It's ultimately about your love. You know that? We like to think that we're rational people. That We like to think that we look at all the options out there. Take God's, for example. I'm going to look at all the religions out there. La-la-la-la-la. I'm going to study them, and then I'm going to make the most rational decision of which religion I want to be a part of. No, you're not. No, you're not. Uh, Dr. Ashley Null One of the foremost theologians today, scholar of the English Reformation. Listen to what he says on the matter. It's a little bit heady, but I think you'll agree it's it's worth thinking about for a second. Then we'll take communion. He says, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Just think about that for a second. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. The mind doesn't direct the will. The mind is actually captive to what the will wants. And the will itself, in turn, is captive to what the heart wants. The trouble with human nature, talking a little bit about uh, original sin here, the trouble with human nature is that we are born with a heart that loves ourselves over and above everything else in this world, including God. In short, we are born slaves to the lust for self-gratification, i.e. concupiscence. Is that how you say that word? There's your $10 word for the day, concupiscence, concupiscence. That's why, if left to ourselves, we will always love those things that make us feel good about ourselves, even as we depart more and more from God and his ways. Therefore, what's the solution? Therefore, God must intervene in our lives in order to bring salvation. When God does addition by subtraction in your life, it may not be fun. It may feel like a void has opened up. You have lost somebody you love. You have lost a thing that you love. You feel out of control. You feel helpless, hopeless, depressed. You have two options, the same two options that all of us have. You can run to God and fill that void by running to God, or you can run away from God. You can run to God or you can run away from God. We'll think about that as we prepare our hearts and minds for the Lord's Supper.